0: da 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 we're talking about music today music it's playscape LA Hey, gang, I'm Teddy Deef, and this is Playscape. How have you been? Um, let's talk about things. This week, my guest is the awesome, awesome uh, composer for games and film, Austin Wintery. Uh, we had a really awesome chat. I will get into an introduction for him in a moment. But let's talk. Uh, I was off last week. I didn't do an episode last week because I went on vacation. Finally, um, after the release of Hyperlight Drifter and the many many updates we've been doing to try to fix uh, some problems people are having on different machines uh lots of little support things that you do on a game even if the game launch goes smoothly even if um there are no major bugs you know there's some games that release and they're like known for being buggy there's some threshold like uh Red Dead Redemption, uh, which is an amazing game, but had all these crazy bugs, and people would post them, so that was kind of like a running gag. Uh, one of the Assassin's Creed games not too long ago had a bunch of had a bunch of bugs, um, but people enjoy them. But um, you don't want people to not be able to play your game. Anyway, we didn't have that problem, but there's still a lot of support you do, because there's always going to be somebody, especially on Steam, uh, on computers, because there's so many different types of computers. There's always going to be somebody who just can't play the game at all because they've got some driver installed or their controller is weird or they're using a controller that's like the PS2 controller that they plugged into their USB port but it's not a, a Sony brand PS2 controller. It's like one they bought off the internet that was was made in, in China. Like, there's all this crazy stuff that you just can't really test for because there are too many different types of computers. Anyway... We did support for that for a while. We still are here and there, but by and large, um, at least my my duties, the things that I need to be doing for Hyperlight Drifter, are mostly complete. I'm still going into the studio every day to be there and to pay attention. Um, our amazing port engineer Aaron, Aaron Melker is um, doing a lot of work on our console ports, but I got to take a vacation for four days, four five days. I took a five-day vacation. That's pretty good, right? Five days in a row. Um, I went out to Palm Springs, which is like a, we call it the desert here. When I moved to Los Angeles, people would be like, yeah, we're going to the desert for the weekend. And I got this impression that everybody was really hardcore here. Uh, they just go out to the desert and they fucking chill um, under the, the deathly rays of the sun. And they fight for survival. And that's like how they spend their weekend. Um, but Palm Springs is in fact a very relaxing place with like houses. I rented a house with a pool. That was pretty cool. Um, I guess I want to talk to you for a few minutes here before I get into Austin and my conversation about, uh, turning it on and off. Uh, so I'm not really good at taking breaks. Um, I don't even want to say I'm not good at it because, uh, I don't know that I value um taking long time off as good or bad like sometimes i feel guilty for wanting to always be making things but i think i've come to a place where i am okay with that like if i spend uh all day saturday and sunday working on something i don't feel like i'm burning myself out if i don't feel burnt out you know like it it's not by default going to burn you out to like have creative endeavors outside of a work week Um, maybe you shouldn't go into the same office and work on the same thing seven days a week. Uh, I can't do that, Um, but I work on different things, different projects. Uh, This podcast, um, some working on my 3D art, working on different things and um, my new project and all sorts of stuff. But um, that means that if I do think, man, I, I don't know why exactly, but I think I should take a vacation. I think it would be good to motivate me there is there is a feeling that I get when I do manage to take really time off that has this slingshot effect where I take a couple days off and then I start to feel this pull like oh man like all I want to do is get back to my to my work it's like all I want to do and and while I am relaxing I am sort of pulling back the the slingshot or the catapult and then when I get back to my desk it's like fucking go time like I'm so psyched to be back at work and I think I think you probably know that feeling I think everybody understands that sort of dynamic hopefully. Um, but here's the thing. I took a, I took five days off and I did turn it off. I brought my laptop. Um, but I didn't work. I was up the whole night before, before I left finishing some, some stuff for our console ports, but I didn't do any work for five days on anything. Uh, I didn't do this podcast. Um, I probably was supposed to, sorry, <laughs> sorry, I didn't tell you while well, I was, it was vanishing, but, uh, I was probably supposed to, and I didn't, um, And I turned it off, and now I'm back, and I'm trying to turn it back on. I'm also moving, so it's a weird time where, like, I want to get back to work, but I have to, like, pack boxes and sell furniture and things like that. But um, my specific situation aside, for me, I'm either all the way on or all the way off. I don't know if uh, some or all of you uh, feel the same way as I do, but for me, it's it's all or nothing with almost everything that I do. Um, like if I'm working, I really want to be fully in the zone. I really need a deep, deep focus. And sometimes that'll happen for several days in a row. Like if I work, if I work late into the night on some new project, chances are I'm going to do it again the next night. Um, and if half a week goes by and I'm not really doing much in the evenings, uh, on side projects or something, chances are I'm going to continue to not do anything on those for the week. It's just, it's hard for me to turn it on and off quickly. I have heard creators uh there was an author I heard once who said like um, that the way she writes her novels is in little time here and there because you're never going to have an unbroken 4 hours. I think she's also a mother. Um she's like I'm never going to have 4 to 6 hours to sit down unbroken and write. It's just not part of my life anymore. And I think that's true for everyone. Um no matter what your circumstance, whether you are a parent or uh you have a job that is very demanding on you, um, aside from the, the creative work you're trying to do, or you're in a, a relationship or you just, uh, I don't know, you have roommates like you just, you're never going to have, or you are rarely going to find unbroken time. And, and even now I'm trying to learn that I'm trying to do this introduction and I have a meeting in 15 minutes, uh, and I'm trying to kind of create that space. It is such a skill to develop to be able to turn it on and off quickly. And it's one that I am still working on. I'm still trying to get it because nothing is more pleasant to me than uh, being able to really sink in. But that's that's super hard to do. That's often why I stay up really late. I don't know if you work early or late, but I stay up deep into the night because that's one of my best opportunities to get unbroken work. Um, I'm like a chronic messenger. I'm on texts and twitter and google hangouts and slack uh and facebook messenger i'm on all of those all day uh breaking my own attention and so late at night everybody goes to sleep and i can work i'm protected from my own instincts to message people um so that's where i'm at um not currently making video games, although I guess technically I am in 15 minutes. So <laughs> uh, just not right now, but um, I guess that's my update. Hyperlight Drifter is sailing along. We're working on console ports now. The, the wave has crashed of the, of the PC release. All the reviews are out, all that. That's all very calm. And I'm sort of in the middle period where I'm getting ready to get full-time back into uh, the next project um that i'll be doing with square enix um in montreal uh but let me just let's let's get into the conversation i'll talk to you a little bit more about the future uh at the end here my guest this week is austin wintery austin uh as i said is a music composer for games and film and all sorts of stuff um some notable credits he's super prolific in games include journey the banner saga banner Saga 2 monaco sunset Uh, assassin's creed syndicate most uh that was pretty recent um he is a he's won a vga a video game award for his work um and a bafta uh that's a british academy of film and television arts although technically he won it for a game and maybe they need to update their name to baftag to get some games in there i don't know baftaga we'll work on that um austin is just super uh, man very very talented very very committed and passionate Um, He is someone that I will be talking to uh, in the conversation you're about to hear a lot about um, not being able to stop, not wanting to stop, being sort of restless, uh, never really hitting an end point uh, or understanding what an end point is. Um, Austin is super cool. Austin, uh, when I was looking him up just to make sure I had his credits right, Austin has a Wikipedia page. When someone's got a Wikipedia page, (laughs) not to be like like the uh, uh, trivial or too like uh, weird about this. Uh, but I internet creep on my guests. Like if you got a Wikipedia page, like you're doing pretty good. Like I wish I had a Wikipedia page. That's like, that's like some sort of career threshold. you know? It's like, if you've ever Googled yourself and you're like, I wonder if like my name is at the top of the results for my name. God, where, where am I even, what am I talking about? Austin's great. Uh, Austin is a composer. He's a brilliant person and a very kind person, very thoughtful um, and he is a very engaging person to talk to. Very, like, quick back and forth. Super good. Um, I'm just going to shut up, because you got to hear this. So, hey, here's me and Austin Wintory.
1: You know, it takes no provocation or shoving for me. Because to me, I, I have this little kind of catchphrase for myself, which is sort of living artfully, which means that I like Mm. to structure the way I live around what I hope to achieve through my work. And I think that because achieving something meaningful musically requires quite a lot of emotional vulnerability, Mm. I've considered it to be a mandate to live my life ready and willing to be that way as well. Mm. And so it actually comes very naturally at this point it's a well-practiced muscle to just sort of open up about whatever because it it i don't think i could hope to write music effectively presuming i even do yeah uh if i weren't able to do that that's that's cool
0: like i do the same thing but i think it comes from a different motivation which is like for me i think i started doing that years ago because of like as to like combat imposter syndrome i was like (laughs) i just felt like I don't know what my voice is. I don't know if I have a, like, artistic voice. Like, so I'm just going to work to open up in every, like, like you're saying, like open up in every sphere of life so that it kind of just bleeds all together.
1: Yeah, exactly. It, yeah, it's funny that you put it that way because that's another one of my little spiels that I, I get on, especially if I'm talking to a group of students or something. I I, mm. I will talk about how, like, in school, particularly, you know, elementary, middle school, high school, well, actually, all of our education, because even college, master's degrees, everything is parsed out into these individual subjects. Mm -hmm. You know, like in high school, you have history class, you have calculus or whatever, algebra, biology, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, Uh, when in reality, life is not like that. It's just these different lenses through which to view the continuum that is life, right? Mm -hmm. Always think of it as, imagine life is some. Object like a sphere, mm-hmm. B- different sort of, uh, sort of color spectra or something would be the different subjects, but they are very much part of the single whole. And and sometimes it's about looking at it from different angles or whatnot. But it is not actually divided into discrete categories. Mm. And so, but we're kind of programmed to think of it that way, you know. Because this was my big revelation, particularly in college, because my music history professor. Insist th- insisted that we study everything going on that was peripheral to the music history we were studying. So he was like, you need to know about the advances in technology that were happening. You need to know about the politics in whatever specific area we're talking about. You need to know about the um, sort of religious and sociological developments and all that sort of thing, because the music only makes sense when you realize this context in which it was being written by the composers, because they were very much of a product of their societies and of their era and that sort of thing. And he it, he would spend as much or more time just laying the groundwork. Yeah. And then we would be like, okay, now Brahms, blah, 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 blah. <laughs> but it made it so much more intuitive because it, it almost took on this determinist quality of like, he couldn't have written anything but that. Yeah. Because he was so much of that time.
0: Well, I th- yeah, I mean, I find that to be like, obviously, like, this podcast being focused on LA, like, there's kind of something in that to me, too, is that like... This, there's an energy to every city and I've worked in different cities and felt different energies and so like where'd you
1: live before here?
0: Um, I grew up in DC and then I lived I in New York I didn't remember that New York for many years that's where I went to college and then I came out at which out here? school? Columbia oh awesome and then I came out here to do USC grad school right film stuff and then games but and then I spent a little bit of time in Seattle so DC, New York, LA, Seattle LA and now Montreal
1: got it amazing
0: but I just like yeah man like I don't know the energy of this city is like really specific. You're not from here, are they? You're from Colorado, aren't you?
1: Yeah, exactly. I grew up in Denver, but then I also I went to NYU before L.A., uh. so I also lived in New York. Okay. And then, yeah, came out here. I have the exact same trajectory as Kelly Santiago. We both went to NYU and then to USC. I th- I've definitely talked to Kelly because I think she, she – I know she was New York, and I think she might have
0: also come from around the D.C. area. So I think like, we've talked about that too. Yeah.
1: and, and um, But, yeah, I, to me, the energy of L.A., what i specifically find is that it's a, it's a specifically creative energy which is you know mm-hmm. almost a cliche as an observation because it's like we have the big hollywood sign up on the hills as a <laughs> as this broadcasting sort of beacon of, you know, this is what we do here. But I'm this sort of willfully naive idealist that says, I totally buy into that. You know, everywhere you go here, you go into a Starbucks and there's five different people sitting there writing screenplays. And if you just go and you kind of open your ears, you know, walking along the, the water in Santa Monica or something, you'll hear people on the phone being like, the producer said what? I told them that tomorrow <laughs> 3 cl- and it's just like I feel like there's just this energy around making stuff and there's and, and beyond even the film industry and television and things like that obviously we have the game industry here in a in a not insignificant presence but then there's so much you know theater and and modern art in a lot of different incarnations you know like I have a lot of friends in the contemporary dance and kind of Quasi ballet oh, really? community, like the the specifically the L.A. Contemporary Dance Company out here is so excellent. And we have an amazing classical music scene from the L.A. Phil and the L.A. Chamber Orchestra yeah. doing a lot of repertoire to incredible contemporary and modern music. Like there's a group called Wild Up, and there's this amazing L.A. based um, modern opera company called The Industry that only does you know world premieres of works they commission. And really? there's just so much. Everywhere you go, it makes it a son of a bitch to put on a show here because there's ninety thousand things competing <laughs> on any given night for your yeah. audience. But as an audience member, it's an it's such a spoil of riches every single night, all year round. Yeah,
0: well, I, th- I mean, I think at the end of the uh, of the day, like that is the challenge that you rise to in a city like this, or even in New York. Like I, in college, I this is a strange thing. I, I did acapella. I was like a huge fucking cappella nerd. Really? And, uh, yeah, I'd, it like... It makes me retroactively
1: self-conscious to play you absolute music. Uh, no.
0: I was doing, like... I mean, I was doing a lot of transcription and arrangements. I was doing, like, 13-part vocal... Dude, that's so amazing. ...stuff. I was super deep in it. But even... But with that stuff, like, I spent a year at a different college in North Carolina. And there... I was in an acapella group, and we were like, the show. Like, right, when yeah, we did yeah. the show, it was like, The Whoa! big fish like, in a yeah. small pond. Yeah, like the one-semester show, but you go to a city like that, and it's like, who's going to go to an acapella show? We're in New York City.
1: Yeah, exactly.
0: And, and so... We
1: can go to Radio City and, you know,
0: see, like, the Rockettes. <laughs> uh. <laughs> Fuck. Um, I mean, I hope we, I hope that wasn't our main competition. <laughs> but you know what I mean? Like, So that's the up and down of being in a city where everybody's doing it, you know? Yeah. Like, because at a certain point, I remember the first week I was here going into a coffee shop and hearing, that, like, that exact same thing. Like, first thing I heard was people talking about screenplays, and I, I thought that was, a like, a, a, a cliché, or I thought that was not true, that yeah. that wasn't going to happen, but it is. Yep. That's everybody. And it gets to a point, I don't know if you feel this way, but, like, it gets to a point where in this city, if someone's, like, I'm working on a screenplay, it doesn't mean anything. Like, you don't – like, you, you ask about it, you know? But, like, in another city where that's not the norm for me – like that's where the conversation often ends, or like it doesn't get in, it doesn't get very deep because it's more of an oddity. It's like, oh, you're oh, yeah, a screenwriter, like that's so cool.
1: For sure. Yeah. But here
0: it's like, okay, what's your screenplay about? Like, talk. Let's talk yeah, about
1: it. Are there producers attached? Who's the yeah. director? <laughs> what kind of financing do you need? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. There's a much more sophisticated conversation that will follow uh, 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 in terms of follow up mm. that will knock you down a few pegs if your achievement is just simply I'm writing a screenplay. Yeah. I definitely find that because growing up in Denver you know when I go home there's always an interesting sense of especially when I first moved out here and it would be like I'd score an independent feature that would then play in one random festival in like New Mexico uh-huh. and you know it'd be like in my little corner of Denver they'd be all but ready to throw a parade <laughs> uh, which is very sweet and supportive that is cool. yeah. but it's like I would I would always feel slightly weird about it because I'm like i I actually haven't achieved anything of substance. <laughs> really here i mean i I did do a film and i'm proud of that and Mm. i grew and i you know i'm getting my sort of my my career one inch further down the path
0: Mm.
1: but it's not like now you know i'm set Uh, right but there's a certain it it always made it stressful for me to go home because all the praise Mm. made me feel like i would i was worried i'd get sort of complacent now because i'm like if i started to believe what people were saying i'd think you know what by god i have i have made it i've made it yeah and in reality you know it was like i'm i'm lucky if i'm going to make rent this month uh, yeah. and so it's just an interesting uh uh mismatch or or kind of
0: i i i like to think that's like relative that cuz i th- i think about this a lot lately especially like coming hot off of hyperlight and going immediately to this new thing like going yeah. to this like I wasn't I just,
1: recording before when I showered you with congratulations, so now that we're uh, recording, I have to say it all again because I want there to be a record of my extreme happiness uh, Thanks, over your uh, ar- artistic achievement, though I confess I have not had a chance to spend any time with the game, but okay. it's in Steam, it's ready to go. Uh, but Rich's uh, score is really good. Uh, that I did listen to, um, oh, which cool. I was unsurprised that I found to be wonderful because mm-hmm. I pretty consistently love his work. He's mm-hmm. a good friend, and, and I, I think he's he's fantastic there's there are two or three colleagues in the industry who i just absolutely adore everything they do which is him darren korb and uh jessica curry who Mm -hmm. i just feel like every like her score to everybody's gone to the rapture is to me just like one of the great game scores i mean it's just but anyway that's a
0: score i've listened to but i've not played that game
1: rich is moving to la by the way what rich is moving to la rich yeah come here uh, vreeland. like vreeland yeah why i don't know i haven't talked to him about it yet uh wow just that's decided. freaking awesome yeah anyway um uh but God, i man. interrupted you to say congrats on all the no amazing... I,
0: no continue yes please. i oh
1: believe me i can and will <laughs>
0: uh but if um well no i mean well okay let me no no we shouldn't do that we shouldn't do that um
1: I like how you're debating, though. You're like, maybe. Maybe Ozzy, we should you know, listen to... It's been, it's
0: been, a, been a few days That's since right. I've... Accepted. It's been hours I
1: since, yeah.
0: Since I've refilled. No, but, like, I think about what you were saying a lot um, on the heels of doing one one project and then jumping into the other. Um, like, I could not do it. It was a, it was a conversation that, like, they've been very patient with me. Square's been very patient with me in terms of waiting. You could not take the job. Yeah, I just could not do it. Uh, it wasn't necessarily what I was planning, but... Based on what we were talking about and what I liked, I was like, "Well, I have to. I have to keep going. Like, I can't. I mean, I'm taking kind of a break now, and I've been resting, and I'm going to Palm Springs this weekend, and that's going to mm-hmm. be rad. But um, I'm not taking like a long sabbatical. I'm not like chilling out for. Yeah, six
1: I mean, it's fairly imminent that you go up there, isn't it?
0: Yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm leaving at like the end of the month. Yeah. Um, but point being, I like to think about what you were talking about about like feeling when you've made it as being this sort of like. Man, you can just always keep going forever, and then at some point you just decide to kind of not get off, but kind of like pull into the pull into the right lane, like kind of chill out a little bit. And I I Maybe. wonder if that's like I mean, I mean I I, I don't buy into that because I like keep racing all the time. I was going to
1: say yeah, I, I I recognize that that is a hypothetical possibility. <laughs> I haven't ever personally behaved that way because every. Mm. Every sort of slope just reveals some taller, steeper slope beyond it, right? Mm-hmm. Every, every, every uh, time you achieve something by any metric, mm-hmm. whether it's, hey, this year I made more money than last year, or hey, mm-hmm. this year I was able to reach more people, or hey, this year it seemed that more people seemed to like this than didn't, or mm-hmm. I made more stuff, or I made stuff I was less critical of, or some combination of all these different metrics and many others. Any time there's always some even more exaggerated and pronounced version waiting for yeah. you after you would do it. You know, it's not like there's a finite sort of zero sum amount mm. of quote achievement of any one th- through any one lens. Yeah. Which can you know, it it makes it relentless, but if you love what you do yeah, then mess- it shouldn't it's not that much to just keep pushing and push harder and yeah, fail want, better and all that.
0: I wonder how much those are are like directly proportional like loving what you do and and like the ch- the the chase towards improving your craft and the chase towards like improving your career and they kind of go hand in hand you know like presumably hopefully right the better work you do the more success you find but
1: it's de- but it's definitely possible they don't have to tie directly to each yeah. other because you can definitely some people get really lucky they they kind of dash off a sort of gimmick mm. and it really catches on and mm. then they end up being asked or finding opportunities to kind of rehash that thing that mm. that puts food on the table and can, lets them do what they need to do but it doesn't represent this penetrating, inward-looking growth as a craftsman or as an artist uh, and it's especially easy if you're... I mean, it's not easy to achieve that, of course. but it, it it's especially... Possible, if that even makes sense, if like in the kind of the blockbuster world or the Hollywood world or the AAA games world, where you know you you manage to have this one sort of giant hit, Mm -hmm. whether it's personal or reflection of your actual instincts or not, because one hit can far more easily beget another than a dud beget anything. And Mm -hmm. so I find that because there's just a lot of music, Uh, I'm not going to sit here and bitch and moan about. Scores I don't like, okay. but there's definitely okay. a lot of scores where I listen to them and I say, "This seems like it took an afternoon to Ooh. just sort of."
0: Because this is rehashed.
1: It's yeah, it's very familiar. It's mm. very, I'm very aware. I can I'm very aware of kind of where their head is with this, and that's no slight because they're probably doing exactly what they were hired to do. Mm. But I mean, the number of, like after Journey came out, you know, there were a couple. I kind of caught wind of a few conversations through various channels of composers who were working on some pretty like massive films Mm. that were saying things like "I wish I were working on a game like Journey," and I was kind of getting, I was sort of finding myself the target of of envy. Maybe it it feels weird to say it because I don't, I don't. It it kind of makes my skin crawl to talk about myself that way. But Mm. I would catch discussions like that Mm. from people that have from from this outside perspective, fantastically successful careers, you know, where just they make huge amounts of money and millions and millions and millions of people hear their music on a regular basis and all the different ways that you could look at it. But they, but they, but you could tell that they felt like I'm kind of autopiloting through this. So does that scratch
0: the itch for you at all of the, like, trying to move upwards? Like if someone... At, at, at who has had a great deal of success like speaks in a way that that sort of elevates what you've done to you like does that does that do anything for you like i always because i've to me like the 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 urge to do to do better work and to to have greater reach and things like that is like pretty non-stop it's like pretty endless and i wonder like i'm always curious whether any are there are ways to que- quell it or like
1: oh i see like do i know? do i feel satisfied and can kind of
0: yeah, Do you, are you good at that? taking like beats to be like I did a thing, I'm proud of myself, that sort of thing?
1: I'm really not. Mm. Uh, and you know, there's a lot in my life that probably pays the price for that. Mm. You know, my my wife has had to endure a lot of sort of spans of me being, if not physically absent, emotionally absent, because mm. I'm just so um, constantly sort of engaged with whatever I'm doing and constantly mm. wanting to. You know work longer and work harder and, and push myself no matter what I've just achieved and in mm. fact usually like for example this last year I did the, the new Assassin's Creed and yep. then immediately after delivering it I had to go do a film that was this this film I don't even like to say I, I had to go do this film I was excited <laughs> to do this movie sure, sure. that was like my best friend in the whole world is this director it was our third film together mm. And um, But I had like a month to turn around, you know, an hour-long, full orchestral – the film's like this adventure film, so wow. it's a big, grand score that is not – I don't actually do that sort of thing that often. I kind of like these little more intimate things, and even like a game like Assassin's Creed I made into something sort of intimate at, in in defiance of their kind of – Triple A They wanted epic Yeah, I told them I'm not interested in doing sort of an epic score and amazingly they were like, Great, that's kinda why we're interested in talking to you. Cool. Even though I do I do like that if I can do it sort of my way. I I just don't like I'm bored by the kind of trailer music aesthetic, but there are other ways to do it. Um, and you know, when those opportunities come up I happily jump on them, but but if there's otherwise a way to subvert the genre of what I'm working on, I like to do that. But all that as an aside, it was you know just grind 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 you know like nine months of crunch on Assassin's Creed turning around just in a giant pile of music and then yeah. a month to turn around another pile of music and then as soon as that was done I had an, an about another five weeks or, or less on Banner Saga 2 to get mm-hmm. that turned around at breakneck speed and I, so it's like I'm grateful extremely for those opportunities yeah. and I don't and I never consider saying I maybe I should not do this.
0: Yeah no I mean I'm, I'm, trying to, I'm not trying to tell you to your, oh, no, your competitors you have asked me if maybe you want to slow down and get <laughs> out of the way. No, like I, it's <laughs> uh, yeah. well, it's funny you talk about that. Like, there's also a weird lag, or I suspect there's a weird lag between when you finish a like, like you finish a score, and then the the game or the film or whatever comes out, and then right some yeah. of the beats of recognition, for example, like um, I am on, I can only project this because I'm like hoping that that there's any sort of um, chance that we might like win any awards for Hyperlight. I sure hope Alex wins it for the art for something, you know. But a lot of those oh, I'd be
1: shocked if, if you don't get mm, plenty of notice. I hope so. But like What do you mean by the beats of recognition?
0: Meaning like that beat will come so like let's say for example we're we're lucky and we get nominated for something for like an IGF or a GDC award or something, mm-hmm. right? That's next March. Right. That's a year after the games come out. Right, sure. Like I'll be coming from Montreal. Like we'll be, we won't even be working together anymore. Right, It'll be right. like a reunion to come and sit and and you know and experience that. Like, how did that feel for you on something like like with the like at the BAFTA because mm-hmm. you you won a BAFTA for Journey, yeah? Yeah. Um, or even like the the like the Grammy nomination stuff like that.
1: Yeah, it was all long after the game was done. Right. Yeah, and and also a lot of the core team on Journey from that game company kind of went separate ways. Mm-hmm. and similar to exactly what you're describing we'd see each other at like the gdc awards yeah. and or the IGF or not the igf but it was the gdc awards which yeah it was literally a year cuz journey came out in march <laughs> hmm. uh 2012 and so you know it was gdc a year later that that stuff happened and the baftas were uh i think february they kind of changed when they are cuz they were they were definitely before gdc okay uh, at least i almost positive they were yeah, it's it's a blurry memory. The funny thing is I've never been to the BAFTAs. Um Oh yeah. Have, no, I've been lucky to be nominated a handful of times and I've literally and, and obviously winning for Journey and mm-hmm. I've never been. In in fact, of all things, when Journey won, I was doing the most incredibly un-Journey-like thing, which is I was recording for the remake of Leisure Suit Larry, Oh really? <laughs> and I I and I'm such an idiot because I I was like, "Oh, the BAFTAs are you know going to be later" They're, like, tonight. And, of course, there's an eight-hour time difference between here and London. So I'm sitting here recording this violinist, and he, like, looks over my shoulder. We're literally in this room, and he looks over my shoulder, and he sees my inbox kind of suddenly filling with all these unread emails And behind me. He says, you you know, I feel like something's going on. You should check that out. And I turn around and look, (laughs) and I go, oh, wow, Journey's, like, winning BAFTAs, like, just won, like, five in a row or something. But then I was like, well, you know, I have you here till three, so we really got to keep working. And it was such a funny, glorious this exact same thing last year I got nominated for the Banner Saga and I was on a Skype call with somebody talking about a new project mm. and I had the Skype on one monitor and then the Twitch stream of the BAFTAs on the other just muted uh-huh. and I was like oh hold on the music category okay yeah I lost keep going like, <laughs> oh god and it was so but it was it was. I don't know I kind of like that I sort of yeah. because I, I although like pomp and circumstance is really not my thing like yeah. I didn't walk in my own graduation from college because mm. I was just like I don't actually care about that stuff yeah and so I don't lose any sleep over missing. To me, the, the most fun part of it is just seeing your friends and your colleagues. And like with the journey thing, that reunion that you're yeah, talking yeah. about, seeing Robin and, and Kelly and Genova and Martin and all, all the core team members who you know I'm really close with and who had really bonded. You know, Matt and Ava the, the artist, became yeah. like a really close friend and whose work to me is just absolutely I don't even know who I'd be as a composer without having his art mm. had come into my life. And you guys are working together again. So. And yeah, now mm. on ABSU, which is such a, such a gift. Cause that guy is just such a, has such a voice as a, as an artist. And yeah. so, yeah, I, I, I would not, uh, who knows, but I would not, sure, sure. uh, I don't pretend to prophesize for you, but I would be shocked if the game does not get, you know, yeah, uh, I mean, a good I, amount of love.
0: You know, I mean like everything we're saying is like, well, it, it at that point, the the arc of the experience is almost closed, you know. But it's but it's
1: a wonderful kind of epilogue. Yeah, epilogue is a good way to put it.
0: Where it's like, I mean, I think I think for anyone who's doing, you know, I think when you when you try to put so much energy into the work, you know, you're really focusing on like I don't want to rest on my laurels. I don't want to. I want to do different things. Like you're talking about wanting to mix mix it up and 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 push for doing something smaller on or something different on Assassin's Creed, right? Something more intimate. Like when you're focused on that, like you're just like the recognition getting recognition is awesome but it's not it's not what you do it for right if you're doing it for yeah, that exactly. you're probably you're going to spin out of the industry because most of your life is spent not getting recognition like even when you're oh yeah you know
1: plus you know i'm a i'm a trivia nerd for certain things and okay. i love i love oscars trivia uh-huh um and the number of composers for example that have won oscars that then went straight into a career of obscurity is surprisingly high.
0: Really. And
1: so I and then that's just so I I kind of internalized that in mm. you know like even in high school of realizing you can win arguably one of the greatest prizes a composer could win in their life and it in no way means anything when all is said and done. It doesn't huh. it doesn't translate to you know more possible possibly more film opportunities or being paid more or, you know, being celebrated in the streets yeah, or any, yeah. it, it, it potentially means absolutely nothing. <laughs> um and so and 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 for those that have won like someone like John Williams, he's won five Academy where he's been nominated fifty times. Jesus. So the Force Awakens this year was his fiftieth nomination. Wow. And it's obvious when you look at his body of work that he's not doing it for that. He just yeah. does it at such an insane level that they can't help but just nominate everything he writes yeah. uh, and and not unjustifiably but but yeah so to me that 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 trivia of like what do the following t- 10 composers you've never heard of have in common they are yeah. oscar winners not even nominees you yeah. know that kind of thing and but it's a good lesson to to realize you know yeah it can be really nice to feel recognized or to to get that accolade or or whatever But it doesn't actually mean the work is good. I don't actually know... Because I get into this argument with people all the time where I'll say, I don't know how you could possibly convince me I'm a good composer. I have no idea Mm. what would ever actually get through my sense of doubt and my sense of, yes, (laughs) but I could be better. And it's almost like this sort of Schrodinger's cat of quality where I I can't actually definitively prove its existence. And... uh,
0: do you like? Do you have any? Um, so, so I think about that with games because I have the same thing. Like I, I have a hard time internalizing compliments, but it, at least like with games, even on a small team, like with Hyperlight, there's still nine on the team, and then you know, for any given like particular element, maybe half of them, or for like two to four people, maybe touch that most directly. You know, right. so no, so no compliment kind of makes it through the fog right, right. to like hit me successfully. <laughs> like, do you? Is it any? Is it any more like un? I don't. I don't know if unilateral is the right word, but it's like you're you're the composer, right? So like, but there's also there's the musicians and there's things like that. So like, well,
1: that's always the first place I go. Okay, so that's say, your
0: deflection. Yeah,
1: I'll say you didn't hear what I wrote. You heard someone's performance of what I wrote, mm. and so because n- what I wrote are notes on a page that makes no sound. Mm-hmm. You, I am 100. De- percent I mean, obviously, synths and electronics sure, are sure. kind of a, a an outlier to this concept, but. I almost always have some kind of performer in what i'm working on because yeah. i just love that dynamic i love even if the score literally features just a single guitarist or something I, I, mm. I always have something in there seemingly flow is like the only game i think i've ever done that is truly 100 percent electronic huh. um and um but anyway that as a tangent sure, that, sure. the whole point is that i i'm very quick to say you heard a great performer and so They are, like, you've never heard, you know, I'll say, you know, take a Beethoven symphony for example. No human has ever heard a Beethoven symphony. They've only heard Leonard Bernstein and the New York Philharmonics interpretation, or Mm. the Berlin symphony with Herbert von Karajan, or et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, endless variations on that. You've never actually been inside Beethoven's brain, which is the only place that Beethoven's Mm. symphony actually existed in this pure sense. Everything else, at minimum the performers must be partially attributed and I'm always all too happy to just give it all to them because especially since they often don't get much praise anyway um, but more than that to me it's like I'll have a piece of music that or somebody will listen to something and say oh hey you know I love you know blah 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 from Journey or whatever and I'll say oh that's really kind of you and I'll say what other kind of music are you into and then they'll name something that I hate Okay. And I'll be like, oh, okay, so so you don't like good music. Oh, <laughs> uh,
0: that takes the wind out of the compliment
1: for you. Yeah, and I huh. I, it, it, I, always inevitably will find something like that as well where I think, okay, I don't doubt that they liked what I wrote, hmm. but that doesn't mean that it's any good. It just means that they liked it in the same way that you can like yeah. a, the taste of something that, that everyone else says, this is awful, but for whatever reason, you like it. So, yeah,
0: well, where do you draw the line with that stuff? Because... Th- those both like to me those both like I struggle with, with the line between do I as like a craftsperson feel like I'm you know the work is good or better than my last thing or whatever metric you use for good um, and like do people enjoy it right. which is like they're not, they're not necessarily like going to have the taste that you, that you judge your work by but they're the but like you make work at least I feel like I make work for people to experience right so did, absolutely but that doesn't work for you that doesn't like that doesn't make you feel like the work is good if they enjoy it well I guess case?
1: it can get into a, a game that I admit is somewhat probably semantics because I feel like I definitely can feel satisfied that I um, achieved my most important goal of something that brings somebody some kind of... Emotional, anything, but yeah. hopefully some kind of happiness or some kind of fulfillment or something, mm-hmm. and all, that is kind of the most fundamental goal. And if I manage to achieve that, I can I can kind of accept it and, and be happy about that, even if I'm very aware of all the ways I could potentially have done it better right. or reached to them more deeply or more or more significantly or whatever the case. So it's it's not that I. I'm fully kind of refuting that it's good, but it's just so much that is it all that it could be. And then I'm going to just inevitably focus on all the ways that it could have been better. Yeah. Just because I just, you know, I just have this endless paranoia that, again, I'm full of these weird, stupid little kind of catchphrases. But this one is that I, I have a constant anxiety over feeling like, hey, I'm in the groove. I'm totally in my happy place and I'm writing well. And then uh-huh. I'm transitioning seamlessly into from a groove to a rut and not knowing mm. when I suddenly shifted into, you know, do you mean on like a daily basis or like
0: over the like, like what kind of, window I guess it's sort totally of both. It is yeah. kind of a
1: macro and micro, mm-hmm. uh, vantage, you know, feeling like over the last several years, have I lost the fire or even just like since lunch?
0: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I know that feeling. Well like hmm. Let me ask you this cuz this is something I'm curious about. Um, cuz we're talking about like people appreciating work and stuff and 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 that's like relatively a new concept to me. Like I I mean I've been making games for a long time but 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 you know in the curve of people caring right like, hyperlite is like a, a big leap. Yeah, for um, sure. You know, so I don't know what's my umpteenth game or whatever but like, you know. Yeah. Of um so, but that's really close. Like that's so recent for me. So I'm super curious about work that you know, because like you have. So like to again to use like journey as an example, but to use anything where like you felt like it was a it was a spike like that for you, or you you know you got more people more people's ears on it. Like, does your relationship with that work? and whether you feel good about it and how you like how much you you critique it still does that change over time like as you get more distance from it or do you kind of f- still feel the exact same way you did when you shipped it it's
1: interesting i i think because journey is such a relentless presence in my life like mm-hmm. i still get like emails and tweets and things from people just discovering it or or replaying it and saying hey you know just you know I'm loving mm. you know, hashtag PS4 share, I'm loving journey, <laughs> and they'll tag me. Yeah. TGZ or whatever. And it's really it's really sweet. And it's really nice. And even just looking at like my bandcamp numbers, like it's still mm. you've released like 15 albums or something since then, and it, it just completely dominates over all the others. Mm. Um even games that were appreciable hits like the banner saga. Oh yeah. Um it just clobbers their numbers. Mm. Um and It's really easy to fall into this pattern of kind of resenting that because you're like, I am more than Journey. Sure, sure, But but I very quickly somehow, and I don't know how, but I somehow did kind of manage to tell myself I should just remember how lucky I am to have a Journey at all in Mm. my life and my career because it's possible to have even a very successful career and never have something like Journey happen that that affects people the way that it did. Um, But because it is constantly like... Be, um, it's constantly a reminder and I'm constantly, you know, orchestras are playing the music from it on a regular basis and I conduct it with orchestras on a regular basis that I'm, I'm constantly finding uh, the okay. music in front of me so it constantly gives me an opportunity to be like, I can't believe that I did this and I did that and, I, and like yeah. now we're doing Journey Live as this tour, this show where we actually do the whole game as a concert. Oh, really? And uh, yeah, it's this crazy, uh, in, like, it's really... Difficult because we literally have a player on stage and an ensemble, yeah. and I conduct it live. We, you know, we have a special test kit that has the music removed, so that the music is solely coming from what's on stage. Sure, and and we faithfully reproduce the whole score for the entire game, and wow. including all of the the accurate timings of you know when the player. You know, like in the in the canyon area where you're surfing through the sand, and the player comes yeah, yeah, flying yeah. out th- like through the kind of sand waterfall, and we cut to this different camera angle, and they come all yeah, those yeah, little yeah. moments where the score in game actually is timed very precisely to hit those moments. We have to do that live.
0: Oh God! And you so know, someone
1: playing the game too, hundred percent. And and there's no pre choreography. We don't work it out with them at all. And and we especially don't tell them. You know, try to follow the music. It's our job to follow them. Yep. And um, done it four or five times now it's just started this year we did a Kickstarter and then we premiered it in, in DC actually at the Music and Games oh, yeah. Fest Okay. Um, and so you know it's like because Journey there's always stuff with Journey and I'm grateful for it and I love the game like I, I feel I don't get to take credit for making the game which gives mm. me total permission to lavishly praise it and I was um, I was and remain incredibly in awe of what that game company did and I, I remember when we first started I thought you're making a game that as someone who has played games for longer than I've even been a musician, I've been waiting my entire life for someone to make. Mm. I, I, I was so connected with the concept that they were aspiring to. Mm-hmm. Of course, at the time I thought, I don't know how you're going to pull this off, but I want to take, I want to play my part in trying to figure out how to do it. Um, and, and, but yeah, I, I'm nonetheless constantly looking at it and going, you know, why did I, sometimes it's just, it's not disdain or, but it's just confusion <laughs> where I'll just think, I don't, I actually don't remember why I did this at all. I mm. have no memory of like little specific moments compositionally where Are I you just, t- ever
0: tempted to just like change the score for this week's performance? I <laughs> have
1: done little tweaks like that. Yeah? Um, yeah. Just because I'm like, I think it'll sound better. I, you know, it took three years to write Journey. I, I went mm. from the, over the duration of it, I went from age 24 to 27. Okay. And you're it's pretty different you know to go from kind of the end of your early 20s to the beginning of your late 20s is actually it was more than 10 percent of my whole life is another way to put it oh yeah and you're a pretty different person and most certainly a different artist by the end of that so there was stuff that even before journey shipped i would look back at stuff that i'd written at the beginning of the project and say i don't even know who that guy is anymore Mm -hmm. and now i look back and it's already been four four additional years since it came out and i'm Looking at the things that I wrote seven years ago at the start of the project and thinking, I really don't resemble that person anymore. I mm, hope mm. for all good reasons, but just having lived life and experienced things and positives and negatives, you know, yeah, um, and and just grow and are hopefully more interesting. Yeah,
0: that's funny. I like. I already find a temptation to like meddle with the work of of Teddy from three to, years ago to George Lucas. It,
1: yeah. Well, yeah, I guess so, huh? God. See, I, I always find it's <laughs> funny I, just even seeing your face just now as you processed that because he's so easy to criticize f- for people, but I'd say, I, you know, I think you, don't, I think you don't know what it's like to put something out there yeah. that people are going to consume and judge you by and to be actively aware of the things that you wish you could do about it differently. I said I actually really mm. sympathize with George Lucas. I, I totally get where he's coming from, and it, it raises a really interesting question of, who owns what you do yeah, yeah. once you release it? Not in the logistical copyright sense, but in terms of the kind of zeitgeist. Do, you know, is this mine anymore? Do I actually have the right to to change it? Especially if there's a response of such positive reaction to it. You know, like
0: yeah, he's the ultimate example of that of having this like unilateral thing. That's yeah, the most
1: one of the most <laughs> universally positive things to have ever been made, seemingly, mm-hmm. and yet to be so dissatisfied with it as to to make himself into the enemy of his of his army of followers, and yeah. and, and it's crazy too because it, it's sad I think because his achievements on a technical level, especially with the very first film, are so incredible. Mm-hmm. You know, just the camera techniques and the the things that he had to invent to make that movie in nineteen seventy seven oh, yeah. are are staggering, and it's so easy to forget that because people are just like, oh, he's greedy, he wants money, he wants to sell more toys, and I'm like, I don't think that's what it is. I think he's like this. Geppetto who can't stop whittling with Pinocchio
0: well especially if like whatever the circumstances are of your life I mean even with you're talking about journey right like even the circumstances of wanting to take these opportunities and do these cool new things like the, the journey live thing is like well you are you are not not forced to but you're in a situation where you're like that work is still right in front of your face yeah which is exactly what he deals with however many decades later
1: yeah oh yeah for sure
0: Huh. Um, let's I want to I want to step back for a second I want to like slow it down
1: when we dim the I
0: mean, lights, yeah, let's let's take it down. We candles going. You do have a candle going. I smelled it when I came in. I was psyched. Is that apple?
1: Something. Apple uh, I think so. It is <laughs> an, an apple. apple. Um, it's, it's running low, so it starts, it's start going to slowly turn to like apple charcoal. Char smell. Yeah. Good. Um,
0: what is like? Is your work so like we're here in your studio, um, recording this? Is your work pretty solitary? Like what when you mm. when you divide up like the time you spend doing your job? How much of it is spent in the studio alone versus like with studio musicians, like in a more social context? I'm always curious about how social or unsocial different creative jobs are.
1: Um, pr- it's pretty isolated, mm. uh, over overwhelmingly, because obviously, I you know, I there's a there's a lot of there's the meeting component to mm-hmm. what I do, whether that's in person, Skype, uh, phone calls, or if you really want to kind of. Th- cast the net widely even just writing emails and things like that sure it's a lot of interacting with people but obviously if the if the job description is i write music for a living all of that is theoretically peripheral to the actual act of writing music which is very solitary and you know there's it's it's kind of the hollywood thing these days and for the last 10 to 20 years to kind of have a team and 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 mm. that manifests in different ways i mean on the extreme level you have like hans zimmer's studio remote control productions which is which is you know 50 60 composers in one building where things oh. are very farmed out and and okay. there's a lot of people who contribute very specific jobs and 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 it and it's not um uh it's i don't relate to that process at all. My heroes were all the kind of eccentric weirdos that were alone in rooms for long per- spans the of the
0: perfectionist solo. Yeah, or, exactly.
1: Yeah. The the uh, you know the the kind of Steve Jobs types. But um mm-hmm. but I so but I you know I respect the, the kind of emergent trends for, for composers to sort of build a team to be able to delegate out a lot. And mm. and I definitely have a team that I use as part of the production process so okay. if I'm you know writing a score and then I get to go hire an orchestra to record it or whatever I'd bring in people to facilitate that happening very efficiently because I can sure. do most of the steps of that team uh, of that process myself pretty well I'm not the best mix engineer but in theory I can do most of that myself but I can do it a thousand times faster and more efficiently if I have people help me but that's the last yeah. 5% at most of the entire project. You know, like, uh, you know, looking at Journey, for example, I spent three years nearly writing the score, mm-hmm. the last three weeks of which was spent recording the orchestra and mixing and mastering and all of that. Um, the one quasi-exception being that the cellist who played all the solos, Tina, would come in every now and again, and I, I would record her solos midstream, even if I ended up later replacing them with something that I rewrote, yeah. just because it's so intimate and it's so exposed that I didn't want crappy fake cello solo in the in the game as a mock-up I, I would rather mm. have her in there yeah, like a rough from the beginning yeah so even if the orchestra behind her is fake she's still real mm-hmm. um, and so I did have her on periodically throughout the process but most of it is compressed all at the very 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 end and so yeah I it is overwhelmingly solitary even just on a day-to-day basis like I come in really early and I tend to leave really late and if I have no meetings which is most days. Yeah. I'm literally just in this room. And I half the time these days, because I want to just keep working, I'll, I'll order in food. So I don't <laughs> even leave to go eat. Uh, although I do try to at least make that excuse to walk to some cafe or something.
0: Does it, and that doesn't, like, wear you down?
1: No, I think I kind of... I think that's kind of my normal state. I mean, the huh. funny thing is, is I love being around people. And I love... I don't consider myself antisocial at all. No, you're super
0: social dude. I,
1: yeah, I mean, like, you know, and, and I love... I mean, things like what we're doing right now. Any op- excuse to hang out with someone, uh, especially someone I really respect, admire, like when we went and had sushi with Rami, you yeah, know, when yeah. he was, in, you know, he's one of those guys that anytime he's in town, I said, let me know because I will make it a priority to see you hmm. simply because uh, the alternative is I'll, I'll likely be just a- alone working. Yeah. Um, and like I said, sometimes that comes at a, at a price, you know, because I am married and I have, you know, my wife is, is at home and... Uh-huh. And sometimes that 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 can be difficult to to kind of um, to to be maximally present for because I'll be so focused on on my work, and then when there's a novelty that shows up, I'll stop working for that, um, and and that's not really being a great husband. Um, and but you know as ever, we're all works in progress, and that's something I aspire to be better about. Mm. Um, and and you know, in other words, regarding it to be a, a great. Thing to stop working early, to go home and be with her. Sure. Because uh, it's so easy for me to just say, well, I don't have anything going on tonight, and I'll just, so I'll work till midnight. Uh, yeah, yeah. And, and where she would say, I would love it if you thought, I do have something going on tonight, <laughs> being home with my wife. She have a more normal schedule then? Well, now she, she, had, a, she had a job for like four or five years uh-huh. that was really burning her out. It was a really intense, pretty awesome job working in music contracting, which is, you know, uh-huh. for... You know, when you want to hire an orchestra for recording a film or a game or a TV show, mm-hmm. she was working with a contractor to, to achieve that. And they were doing, you know, insanely gigantic films. And show. I mean, they were the number one people in L.A. for that. Oh, so, you cool. know, you're talking about movies like, you know, like Hans Zimmer movies and John yeah, Williams yeah. movies and and really substantially elaborate projects but because the projects are at such a level Mm -hmm. everything always has to be done yesterday and be done flawlessly and there can be no mistakes because there's potentially tens of millions of dollars writing on basic arithmetic
0: and fast and good and not cheap
1: yeah Yeah. exactly and um, but as cheap as possible and because it's easy to make a mistake like she like i remember once there was a um Seth MacFarlane did some big band albums. And yeah,
0: I saw when he, he was touring with that. I saw him live. It's so
1: good. Yeah, like, dude is an unbelievable talent. Yeah. I really really admire him. And, and his
0: engineers and were insane. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. It's so and Joel McNeely is the guy that he works yeah. with on all that. And and Joel's a guy that's been around in film for a long time. He, he worked on like the Young Indiana Jones Show in the '80s with Spielberg. Whoa. And yeah, and, um, and he did the. There was a book called Shadows of the Empire, which tells the story between Empire and, and Jedi on how they get the Death Star plans and all that. Read the hell out of that book. Yeah. Dash Rendar and, uh-huh. and his outright... And they and he wrote a score for the non-existent film for Shadows of the Empire based on the book huh. that was just released as a freestanding album, but like officially licensed and even used some of John Williams' themes and everything. And when the N64 Shadows of the Empire game came out, they actually used some of his music in that game. Whoa, okay. So he's been around okay. for a while. He's a superbly talented guy and his partnering with Seth MacFarlane makes me very happy because mm. he's a guy that likes real music that's like, you know, very robust use of an orchestra and a very old fashioned. He's this old soul. And anyway, but I remember like on that, on one of those albums, you know, she, I remember her coming home one day really frazzled because she had like caught some mistake in her calculation of session wages or something that's like mm. done wrong it would have swung the thing over budget by like 80 grand or something God.
0: totally crazy well film happens in such punctuated moments like if you miss a day or something like oh, yeah you're, you're losing it's crazy money.
1: so yeah so so she was working that you know round the clock and and yeah. finally about a year ago i said you know financially we don't actually need you to have that job mm-hmm. I, i'm I, we're okay at least for the time being, sure. just entirely off of what I'm able to do, and I would love if you uh, just sort of took some time to to just sort of catch back up with life, because she was just working, mm. you know, long stretches, and it was in Calabasas, which is our commute from oh, us yeah. in North Hollywood, and so she would just come home at the end of the day, having had an exhausting day that she then spent ninety minutes driving home in traffic from, yeah, and so I was like, who who the person I married is dying. Yeah. Uh, right now, and 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 what through no fault of her own, you know. It was just, sure. In yeah. fact, well, it actually was her fault insofar as she's a perfectionist, also, and and was like she didn't know how to not give everything to her job, which is good. Well, it mean, makes sense that you two would connect then? Oh yeah. yeah, and you wouldn't want you wouldn't want to have a job like that and not be obsessed with being good at it because you you it it ass so yeah. fast. Yeah. Um, And so she survived and excelled at it. But as a result, it was really kind of eating away. And so in any case, as such now, Mm. I doubly have no good excuse to not come home as as early as possible every night because she's going to be there, you know, unless she's out doing something.
0: No, but I, I mean, I understand that like I one of the reasons I'm doing this podcast is to like is for the same reason is to like get me out of my apartment on nights where it's not like. I mean, I I try to go out on weekends or whatever, but like to have more opportunities to have conversations with people and like get out and not spend not spend evenings like or whenever uh, working on more stuff. Yeah, Um, I totally get it. But you at least then you work relative like we're relatively close then to your home. Yeah, I'm just ten minutes drive at most. Okay, okay.
1: And the later it is, ironically, the later at night it is, the faster the the more cars seem to vanish. Oh yeah. Uh, So it's like I have this weird incentive to to. Go home later because I, I'm able to take a 10-minute drive and make it seven minutes. Yeah, <laughs> it's, well, it's a very LA rationale.
0: So you were talking uh, way earlier about some of your like some of your friends, like a closest friend of yours who's a director, and I think you mentioned some friends in like the the dance scene. Like uh-huh. I'm uh often curious about like who people's circles are? Like, who you would consider to be, like, even though you spend so much of your time working or a lot of of your work life is solitary, like, are you, do you see a lot of other composers or do you see very little of them and you're seeing other people? Like, what is kind of, like, your friend circle?
1: I definitely have some composers with whom I'm very close. Mm -hmm. Um, But my absolute closest friends, Mm -hmm. like, it's a kind of, potentially kind of, macabre way to look at it but like (laughs) the people i think that would speak at my funeral would not be composers because the people i'm most close to tend to do other stuff and that's part of why we end up being so close is we share a lot of them are people who are who work in a creative capacity like they're a filmmaker they're a writer they're a performer they're something Mm -hmm. um so we have this core understanding about one another. In other words, I don't have, I'm trying to think if I have a single person that would, that'd be that close with, I'm trying to kind of imagine if there's anyone in my life that I'm really that close with who isn't in a creative profession. I can't think of anybody. I hear
0: that a lot in a lot of, I mean, I've heard that in like uh, talking to friends who are like, who are dating, for example, and like trying to connect with people that, that, Um, there is a common language between people who are like doing artistic jobs, but then that there is kind of a wall sometimes outside of that. I mean, you're not really defining, you're not describing like a wall, like you can't connect with people, but your closest friends, you would say are people who can share that experience.
1: Absolutely. And I think it can be really hard because I have same thing. I've talked to people who are inevitably dating someone who doesn't Mm -hmm. work in anything remotely. Like what we do just know they're like, they punch in and out nine to five Mm -hmm. They don't sit there dreaming about their job all day, every day, seven mm. days a week, and asking themselves, "How do I be better?" and all these kinds of things that we do. You know, it's like mm. say they're say they're an accountant or something, which I don't say dismissively at all because I don't no. I don't look down on any job.
0: Or even they have those same aspirations, but they're putting more energy into their actual like into their life outside of work.
1: You know? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. You know, there's people can live their life any any way, and I'm on board. Yeah. Um. But. It can make it hard. When I talk to friends who, you know, like if I talk to an actor friend who's mm. dating somebody who's just, well, just say an accountant as a total hypothetical. Okay. You can definitely hit this wall of, at it, some on, on some level they just don't understand why, you, how it is that you can come home at midnight. Having mm-hmm. worked thirty six straight hours <laughs> and all you want to talk about is the stuff that you just did for the last thirty six hours yeah, yeah, you know because in their mind, you come home as early as possible, and the last thing you want to talk about is work yeah
0: um
1: and and the you know it 's one of those that you can explain to someone and they can nod their head, but if they don 't relate to that at some point, it can be really it can be really hard, I would think, for a relationship to flourish sure um, but so you end you, up so you end up
0: talking to people then. Who Yeah, who can share that experience but typically not composers or, or just like Yeah, I love when you know, they like...
1: see it through a totally different angle. Yeah. Or they, they look at life through the lens of being a writer or being an actor or being a you know, to me that's like I once was at um, Porto's this place around the corner yeah, here, yeah, this bakery with an actor friend of mine. And I tend to fidget around a lot while I while I talk and while I move, and I'm being more docile right now so I don't go <laughs> off mic. But I tend to Tend to just kind of be sort of ADD in my, in my mannerisms and but I did not know that until that day, when this actor friend at one point he goes, I I know how I would play you, and I go what, <laughs> and he goes and he's like proceeds to dissect how I move and stuff and I was so shocked by everything he was saying because it, it, on the one hand I was not aware of it and yet I knew that he was right it, I didn't yeah. think oh no that's not me everything he said I thought oh damn that is me isn't it. And I've been very aware ever since then. And but you know, if <laughs> so a picking composer up other, would never have said that. You know, yeah,
0: you're like picking up other people's neuroses, other different craft. Neuroses. Absolutely.
1: Yeah, so I actually end up really loving talking to actors because yeah. there is a lot of dovetail. And I and being a being a musician, I end up noticing things like speech patterns and mm-hmm. uh, it kind of as like this tangent off of like music. tonality
0: and, and you know, tonality and rhythm and and and, yeah.
1: and 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 you can hear all the little. Nuance, Like there's this great thing that was on YouTube recently of the, this actor from The Walking Dead doing these nano impressions of celebrities where okay. he, it's like three to five second impressions of a person in a really weird and hilarious scenario. Okay. So like one of them was, you know, Antonio Banderas trying to remember his, <laughs> his uh, unlock password on his phone. And uh-huh. just you see him going, oh, no, 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 <laughs> no. And, and then it's over. And then you know there was another one that I absolutely love, which is John C. Re- John C. Riley is ninety percent sure he's using a word correctly, and he goes, "I don't want to be uh, hyperbolic," and he just has this like tiny pause mm. in the in the use of hyperbolic, which I just absolutely I've watched a thousand times because I find it hilarious because it's such such a perfect understanding of speech patterns and, and rhythm mm, mm, mm. Uh, to just sow that seed of self doubt. It's absolutely genius. Uh, but that's the sort of stuff that yeah. i only notice because what i do is different than that and then i make friends with people that do that thing and we end up having like long conversations about that sort of yeah, stuff yeah that's
0: super like even the stuff that's not interdisciplinary where it's like oh you you you're talking about a a film together and so you can talk about the the acting and the music like as separate mm-hmm. things like you're talking about you're talking about like different crafts applying to the same thing like i feel that because i have like no longer, but a, a, a background in music, right? So when I talk to actor friends and they're doing, like, um, dialects, right. it's the same sort of thing you're talking about. There's, like, totally. it's rhythms and tonalities, and it's, like, I don't know how they do it, and there's a, a naturalness they get into it with. It's, like, so that it's instant, so they can, like, memorize the dialect. Yeah, but, but absolutely. But hearing them talk about it is, like, yeah, I kind of I get it. I get the, like, obsession that you have to have with, like, the mouth shapes. and, and
1: Yeah, it's, like, it's like playing a wind instrument, in particular, mm-hmm. where you're 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 shaping a column of air with extreme precision uh, to achieve something you know very specific. Yeah. But it makes me makes me realize I uh, you you have a way more deep musical background than most people who are not then some kind of musical professional. Like mm. for somebody who doesn't appear to have any professional musical ambitions yeah. to have been doing you know 10 voice or whatever you said transcriptions of acapella music and that sort of thing yeah, yeah. Uh, that's that's far deeper into it than than non-professionals tend to ever get and what i'm curious is how do you think that has figured into your outlook as a game designer or any other creative thing that you're Ooh. doing Turning it around on me. I ha- I couldn't, you know,
0: this can't be about me. The microphone's just swiveled. Yeah.
1: Um, oh, man, that's a good
0: question. Like, like, how does specifically a music background inform game design? Yeah, or
1: do you think, it's possible that it doesn't or that you aren't aware mm-hmm. of how it is, even if it may somehow be and that it would require some kind of psychoanalysis to figure out how. Um. But do you think, like, there's a musicality to to it? Or do you think in musical sort of metaphors or anything like that?
0: I think a lot about, well, I mean, one thing I noticed when I was in school, so when I was in college, I was studying music, like my major is music, but I had a second major in computer science. And what was
1: the specific music, was it Bachelor of the Arts?
0: It Bachelor of the Arts for composition. At was it was a composition yeah. major? Yeah. Oh my God. Uh, it's a theory in composition, so we did like right bunch of that stuff. But um, Did you switch or did you get that as your degree? That was my degree. How yeah. am I
1: just discovering this on on tape in a manner? Of I speaking. don't know.
0: I don't know. I mean, we have. It's, it's funny. Like that's insane. This this is a this is a really interesting conversation to me because like of a, a lot of the people I've talked to, like we've we've possibly spent the least time together. So like,
1: right, you're one it. of those people that I feel like I've known. The the ratio of time knowing to mm. depth knowing is is uh, out of whack for. Yeah, for like how positively I think of you and how much <laughs> I enjoy seeing you and that sort of thing. Well, it happens
0: because like you're like, oh well, we live in the same city. Like, we'll we'll it'll we'll make it happen. I
1: know. Now that you're moving to Montreal, I'm going to see you ten times more often.
0: Probably. Well, I, even this podcast, right? We were both like, yeah, we'll make it happen. We'll make it happen. Then I was like, oh fuck, like I'm leaving. We should we, we should do this. I um, know. Yeah. I'm going to try to answer your question though. Please do. I think it's a, like I don't know a number of different ways. Like when I was studying like counterpoint, like real traditional counterpoint exercises and stuff, I was like, oh, First species
1: counterpoint. Yeah. Nice. Fuck.
0: Yeah. Um, that reminded JJ me. Jay Fuchs. <laughs> oh, man. I read that book. Awesome. Um, like the book on counterpoint. Um, that reminded me of programming because, like, video uh. game, like, game design and programming has a lot of, like, you do a lot of really simple math. Like I don't do I don't know calculus. If I did, I forgot it. Like right. I don't do trigonometry. I don't do complex equations. Like every math in Hyperlight is just like you're adding a one or you're subtracting a one. Or, right. Like, it's real simple stuff. But you do so much of it that it gets complex. Right.
1: The aggregate is yeah. the complexity, not the individual units of computation. A- exactly.
0: And like and maybe that's true of, of every creative project. But I felt very similarly to counterpoint and composition in general, which is like every movement is just this one simple thing. Like, okay, I'm going up a fourth, and then I'm probably going to come down a third because, like, the rule's of counterpoint. But, like, um, it's just very simple numbers. Yeah. So, I don't know. I know a lot of game designers who, like, at least have music as a hobby, and I wonder if there's, like, a, a thing about the brain that likes both of those things. Um,
1: well, I, I, I mean, I'm obviously biased, but I think music is deeply compatible with all other creative endeavors or just mm-hmm. endeavors in general because it's so outside of... It's such this outlier to all the other arts. I mean, it, it to me, it's it's it taps. I mean, even just when you look at the neuroscience yeah. around uh, absorption of music, musical performance, and especially when you start talking about people who have it at a really young age and the impacts on neuroplasticity and all that kind of stuff, hmm. um, music seems to be this sort of phenomenon that exists outside of virtually every other artistic endeavor. And my little anecdotal, non-scientific explanation for that is that because music is basically... Our relationship to music is, is analogous to beavers building a dam. They don't synthesize raw materials. They take their environment and they repurpose it, and by that... And in, in that same manner, hmm. music is basically just natural properties of acoustical physics that exist in the world with or without us. And we have just figured out ways to kind of take advantage of these inherent properties. And so, therefore, music is more than any other art, kind of this extension of just nature. And where things like poetry, game design, filmmaking, hmm. these are all reasons why humanity is amazing. Because look at this thing we discovered how to do and that we... In, sort of invented but or music more, a, is the one natural, thing we can't take credit for
0: a natural abominations of human creation
1: <laughs> yeah
0: <laughs> or in a good way in a good, yeah, a good yeah. use of abomination yeah
1: okay i'll go with that um, <laughs> and uh but you know what i mean like to me yeah. music seems to be the only art form that we can't really take credit for having i mean there are even animals whales birds dolphins mm-hmm. that exhibit something that we would call music or that has a lot in common with what our music uh, hmm. exhibits, whereas you know, game design or painting or sculpting or yeah, you know, I mean, I guess
0: I, yeah, like music doesn't necessarily require opposable thumbs. No, <laughs> you know, that, I mean, it, it, does. It, it,
1: yeah, it, it, exactly, and, and it and and it really is just acoustical physics. I mean, hmm. truly, I mean, the octave is this is just literally a is a frequency that you have doubled yeah. or halved. We didn't invent that. That existed, that exists out in the cosmos. Earth could be wiped out by a supernova and that would still be true.
0: Well, that's so that's something that I find interesting in like integrating certain elements into games. Like you talked about how in all your scores but one, like you have some live performance. Like you, you want to capture that the depth that comes from like analog or, or just like live performance mm-hmm. and like I see that in in games or that's something that I think about a lot, especially because like my 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 background was uh, so I did composition, but I also like I did like ten years of um, vocal training. So that was like my instrument. Was, so was voice, voice was. I was just about to ask you that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I played like shit piano and because right. I had to for composition stuff. Sure, um, sure. But I was never like a pianist. Um,
1: I'm totally gonna interrupt you. Do you still write music? Yeah, just like even just like you know for fun on your off hours kind of thing.
0: What I what I usually do these days is I'll more often than not like. Um, I'll try to spend less time writing and more time performing because, like, singing and performing and trying not to get too deep into composition feels like a better counterpoint or better juxtaposition from what I do all day at a computer. Like, the moment that I get deep into, like, I'm going to get into Ableton and I'm going to start composing something, I'm like, oh, this feels too much like my work. So what I'll normally do now Mm. is just, like,
1: Improv meaning you don't like enjoy it. it or meaning I'm not going to grow as a person because it's overlapping with the other thing I do.
0: Meaning it's it's not refreshing, it's not switching channels. Right, like right. I still love it and I get deep into it, but yeah, I try to pull myself into like I'm just going to try to sit and improv something on a guitar and then I'm going to sing something and just give me an excuse to do that.
1: Got it, got it, got it. For
0: most of my career, like singing was the only thing I ever felt like I was good at because mm. I just did th- it was like this one skill that I did for 10 years and I can't even necessarily say that about game design yet. Um, right so interesting that's yeah for me that's like i don't know It's very different than sitting down at a computer and pulling lots of different things together yeah yeah um but i think a lot about like imbuing that sort of like the, the the life of sound into games and like i i tend to like i gravitate towards being friends with actors and stuff because i'm just like obsessed with with performance right um from my end for music but more in like whatever ways you can get human performance into games is like and usually that means voice acting, and it means uh, musicians in the score, yeah, so I
1: and mean, which is still kind of novel um, mm. on the whole. you know, games mm-hmm. are still sort of in their infancy, and so many games don't like Sarah is a good example, Sarah's a good friend.
0: Sarah Amale. Amale, yeah. Yeah, yeah,
1: who is a real legitimate talent as an actor. Like there, mm-hmm. like the number of games that have just terrible acting in them is vastly outnumber those that have tr- truly great performance. Yeah, because so many games, it was just like it's you know because for the first twenty years or more of the industry, there there were no performances. Then once, sort of technologically, we had the ability to support actually recorded audio playback of actor performances. You know the kind of, you know mid nineties right, or right, so. Right. It's not like they – the people who were directing these performances very often had no idea what they were doing, nor did these things budget sort of like real actors in a manner of speaking. Huh. Not that that a great performer is going to automatically be expensive. You know, you can have mm. someone who's acting for the first time in their life who turns out to be brilliant. But as an aside, there's just a lot of crap performance out there.
0: Yeah. Um, well, and, and crap direction too, like you're saying. Oh, yeah, yeah, for
1: sure. Yeah, definitely. It's not entirely – it's not entirely the um, the actor's uh, faults either. Um, and also, the third part of that is the writing yeah. is also very often. That's so why when a game like The Last of Us comes along that manages mm-hmm. to have really interesting writing, well directed, and just mind bogglingly well acted. Yeah. Um, I mean, to me, that Troy and Ashley, Troy Baker and Ashley Johnson in that game genuinely raised the bar hmm. for for games, uh, for me at least. I, I was just so uh, completely in awe of that. Um, and But all that said, um, acting in general, I mean, there's still so many games. I mean, the majority of the games I've worked on, for example, didn't have hmm. voice performance in them. Like when yeah. I think about, you know, the Banner Saga has a tiny smidgen, but the overwhelming majority of the dialogue in that is text. Hmm. Uh, and and um, just overlay just sort of narrative information is mm-hmm. just communicated through text uh and um in that one it was mainly pragmatic because it's like eighty thousand lines of things. right it's, i mean it's, that's it's...
0: often why you yeah do VO, exactly it's just the it's scale just of it insane.
1: but i yeah i think you know it, it's 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 aesthetically not necessary for a game to be complete um mm-hmm. you know like monaco has no Vo and it doesn't feel like oh where's the vo it's just sure, part of sure. this and, the, and that's that's normal but but anyway I don't know I'm just kind of rambling I feel like uh, at this point
0: no I mean I I think to to try to bring it back around like um I I think that you see like of of the great examples of, of acting in games like that's just like mentioning the Last of Us and now Uncharted Four which came out today um, yeah I haven't, I haven't which Sarah's in which I'm excited about yeah
1: um, really I didn't know that yeah
0: she um. I, I wanna say she played like one of the, the primary characters in the in the multiplayer, but I I need to loop back around her on that. But um but that's a project that came like Naughty Dog's based in LA. Yeah. And right. I I don't you can't purely attribute it to this, but I wonder if an element of that in making in, in those games being well directed and well written and all these things is that like there is that pressure that we were talking about at the beginning right. of being surrounded by Like, especially if you're, like, say you're a game, you know, you're a game maker, a game writer, and you go, and you're like, okay, now I have to direct actors. Like, there is this pressure of, like, well, I know, I know 12, I have a dozen friends who are career directors who do this full time. I can't possibly be as good as they are at this, so I need to, like, get on top of this. I need to figure this out. yeah And it's a a respect for all those crafts, I think, and for understanding, like, oh, each one of these, like, this job that I do, whatever I do it took me a whole career or a piece of my career to get here, like every single piece of that, including the writing and acting and directing, like, are there own crafts that take someone's full commitment?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, that's definitely magnified mm. when you regularly see physically the people. <laughs> but also, I think one thing I do love about being in the game industry, just yeah. the game development community... Mm. Is that everyone is working so hard to make as good a game as they can that there's this constant pressure to, to do well because you realize like like I I feel this obligation to write as good a score as I can because I know the next thing that Rich Vreeland puts out uh-huh. is gonna be great yeah so it, I put it it gives it it motivates me to put this like self-imposed extra pressure hmm. because I think you know I share this community. With him, and I don't kind of want to let that down. I don't want to disappoint mm-hmm. that because he's doing his part by being amazing, and Darren is doing his part, and yeah. Jess, and you know Danny Baranowski, and Jimmy Henson, and all these folks that I know that are you know really quite excellent. Uh, and uh, I, I like it's like my favorite compliment I ever heard a composer pay another um, was Henry Mancini. Complimenting Jerry Goldsmith, who's my all-time favorite. In fact, his face is on the wall right there. Mm. Um, Jerry um, was being honored. You know, no one ever knows who he is, but he did like half the Star Trek films that have been made, and he did Planet of the Apes and the original Ridley Scott Alien, and all the Rambo movies, and movies like Rudy and L.A. Confidential and Mulan and Patton, and he's just you know, uh, he was one of the most prolific phenomenally talented composers in the history of hollywood and he was honored in this at this dinner in the mid-90s and henry mancini goes jerry oh you know you keep us honest and you scare the hell out of the rest of us and i thought that is the coolest thing i've ever heard a composer mm. say to another yeah. composer so i've stolen that line many times to like when i was writing choral music on absu yeah. everybody's gone to the rapture um uses choir a lot so i called Jessica and I said, I just want you to know that you have scared the living hell out of me because I feel like no matter what I do, I'm going to be woefully sort of inadequate compared to what you did on that score. But I actually really relish having that motivation.
0: I think it's super valuable. I mean, I, we had that, um, Bo and I, so, uh, Bo Blythe who made Samurai Gun and who co, uh, programmed did design on, uh, with me. Like we were like two pieces of this, that element. And I found out like very late in the production that a lot of the anxieties I had or the fears I had of him, he had of me as <laughs> well. Like, we had, we were both mancini each other. That's awesome. Like, How this, did you
1: discover that? What we, was the catalyst?
0: To- um, well, fortunately, we do this thing at, at Glitch City, which is the workspace we have, okay. which is like a weekly, um, we call it project workshop, and it's just like pick a thing you need to talk about and talk about it. So it, it, it fluctuates between, like, craft questions and emotional questions and all over, like motivation, whatever, productivity. Um so somehow it came up that Bo was talking about like he mentioned in passing as he was giving someone else advice. He's like, Well, you know, like I'm always like really stressed out that like Teddy is such a better programmer than I am and I was like, Whoa, 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 like <laughs> I have the same like that that's destroying me too. Like we're destroying each other. This is awesome.
1: in <laughs> the best way. Like, like that really is awesome.
0: Um and, and you could see well, I mean you you would never see this, but like I could see our work crisscross in um in the ways that we influence each other over the course of the project, right? Where I was like racing after what I saw him being really good at, and he was racing after what he saw me being really good at. In a way that, like, hopefully comes out and lifts everybody up.
1: That no, I you know it's hard it's hard to imagine that it would not have that effect mm. because you you both ultimately have a very honorable goal that you're trying to achieve, even if there is that element of kind of like anxiety and yeah, yeah, yeah. inadequacy and and. um uh, imposter syndrome and all the various things that come along with that, yeah. um, but that's that's really funny. Yeah, yeah I, I don't can't think of if there's ever you know because it's such a solitary job. Yeah, I, I can't imagine an op- like a an experience where I would have that specific experience. Right, uh, like
0: a day a day to day infusion of somebody else's. Yeah, unless like I was co scoring something mm.
1: with somebody, like just to have literally that experience would be interesting. Well, what?
0: So let me ask you this then. Like, um, Is there some something that you feel like at the moment like you're – like do you know what the next step is for you, step up is? Like what's the next rung you're trying – you're uh, looking at? Like what are you aspiring to next given what what's behind you? Yeah. Or is there anything or are you just kind of take opportunities oh, to come and like do your best with them?
1: I mean, you know, I have projects sort of lined up where it's very much, you know, how do I – how do I do this as well as possible? And how do I make this the beneficiary of everything I've done prior to this? So Mm -hmm. how do I avoid making the same mistakes that I made before? And how do I kind of make all new ones to learn from for the time after this Mm -hmm. sort of thing? Um, And so that is always very much at work, but in an even more fundamental level of just kind of what do I want to do beyond just that sort of daily grind of, um, I I have, so there's a few things. I really, uh, j- doing Journey live has really kind of unlocked this desire to explore whole new modes of live performance. Hmm. Um, and I actually really, I, I have begun the process of exploring, um, I'm trying to decide how much I want to kind of, Reveal Reveal, yeah Because I have a lot of Irons in the Fire Sure, sure. That are outside of my sort of career mm. Except that that's the thing Is I'm like I, I want that to be as much a part of my career hmm. As what my career currently consists of um, And I mean, I'll give you one example Kind of because it's sort of Currently the least developed Okay um, And then
0: I'll let you off the hook on this one
1: Yeah Because I'll I, You know, my hope is that um, especially as I'm realizing, with horror, my ignorance uh, about your background. Uh. <laughs> um, I, I'm realizing, uh, you know, there's that as someone who I already admired, you actually have so much more to teach me. I think than I even realized, um, which flatterer. intrigues me. Be- what flatterer? Uh, yeah, well, I mean that. it, and and because I say, um. One of the things that I really like about Journey Live is that we're able to put on a concert that really is not the same every time. Mm-hmm. It, but it's but but if you take a step back far enough, it's not that different each time because you know especially since Journey is a reasonably linear game, mm-hmm. it creates the impression of being sort of open and explorational, but it's actually pretty tightly narrative.
0: Yeah, like Naughty Dog would call that wide linear.
1: Yeah, I've yeah. never heard that. That's actually that's their perfect like internal term. Yeah, yeah, and it is, and it is actually much like an Uncharted or a Last of Us, uh, you, you can do quite a lot of wandering around that's still within pretty tight constraints. Yeah. yeah, Journey I would say is no different. It's just on an even more compact scale, obviously. But but so as a result, even though the score. Is you know could vacillate like a performance of Journey Live could be sixty minutes long or three hours long. We're completely beholden onto the, to the player, although yeah. we have to put certain constraints because venues <laughs> are going to kick us out at some point. Right. But the one thing I don't like about Journey Live is that, like when we did it at MAGFest, we had twenty five hundred people show up in the audience. Wow. And t- so we had we had one person on stage playing the game and twenty five hundred people who watching somebody play Journey. Mm-hmm. And even though they all were super into it and, and it was an, it was an overwhelming response. Mm-hmm. And especially because this was a test kit that we'd only, uh, p- like installed and tested journey once, oh, which meant that we got a trophy for connecting <laughs> to another player in the middle of it. And the little, you know, PS4 yeah. ding went off That's great. in the middle of the performance and the whole audience ru- uh, yeah. burst into applause yeah. at the little trophy, which I didn't see coming. And it was really hilarious and gratifying. Um, But nonetheless, it was a passive experience. Now, obviously, most performances, most musical performances like that. You go up on stage, you play, and people absorb it. And maybe if it's the kind of show like if you're playing in a band or you're a DJ, they might be dancing. And so there is something a bit more fluid about energy yeah but it's still a pretty much like i'm putting out information you are receiving that information Mm. and i feed off of your reception of that information but you're not really feeding information back to me in anything remotely like the same way yeah that's the thing i want to break down and so i one of my like i said this is the least developed of the various incarnations of what i just said that i'm working on Mm but i'm going to hopefully hopefully your contract with square will let you do a little side uh, adventures because i yeah. my what i really want to do is design a game that is that the the musical constructs of the 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 conception of the music as part of the game yeah. is as equally fundamental yeah. to the game as the yeah. design itself <laughs> uh-huh. but but it can only be played in a live concert setting. It's not a um, game that we are then putting on stage. It's a game that's designed for that. And it's a game where the entire audience is playing yeah. the game. And so the, it's not one person on stage playing and everyone else enjoying watching Mm-mm-mm. them as a member of the band. It's actually all of us are in the band in that room. Yeah. And my job is to provide the music, but they're the ones dictating where that music is going to go much the same way that a great interactive mm-hmm. dynamic score will in game yeah. and so you know there's a lot of different ways that that can be done both technological and not like i mean the most obvious is you design a game t- that you know has some kind of free app that they download before they get there right, right. and through wi-fi or bluetooth or some other kind of means we're all interconnected yeah. and there's a there's an exchange going- but i also love the idea of it's not just information. There's, there's, there are even very traditional game components to this. Like I love the idea yes, of even right, a competitive, a competitive musical experience is intriguing to me. Huh. Like, what if I divide the audience into factions, um, but the performance is the only expression of that rivalry? There's all kinds of places yeah, I yeah. want to go with this where I feel like it. It's, and so that so anyway th- this is kind of the essence of my answer is i feel like if i can write music for that kind of thing i will genuinely sort of become a new person that's
0: super cool and that's and yeah and it's cool that that like reads from your experience in the games community and in playing games
1: yeah Uh, it's like how do i take this and kind of build on it now? now like i could never in a million years have even formed the sentences that i just said if i hadn't done a thing like journey yeah because it it's it, really it my media. Yeah, exactly. My yeah. my my brain sort of unlocked new little corners of itself because of what I learned from that game company and Sony and
0: That's super cool. Well let's let's turn off the mics and get into the nitty gritty of this and figure <laughs> the shit out. <laughs> in secret. Yeah. Um no we've we've uh I think we've burned all our tapes, so let's let's stop there. But um all right. Man. Yeah.
1: Oh yeah, you're right. Wow. Do you have any little sign-off you do, or are we just out?
0: No, we're out. Thank you for doing this.
1: Dude, it's awesome. It's my absolute privilege.
0: Man, that was good. That was, like, um, maybe the the hardest conversation to end because it's just so constant. Um, As I might have mentioned in the conversation, Austin is one of my first guests He's probably the person I've I've uh, had on the show who uh, I am I've spent the least time with. So there's just so much stuff that he and I have never talked about. A lot of the stuff that I've talked about with some of my guests are conversations that we've had in various iterations before, uh, or topics that I know uh, that they and I would have something cool to talk about. With Austin, it was like, man, I do not know what we're going to get into. He and I have spent like maybe uh, one dinner together, maybe maybe two, ever. Um, so it was uh, long overdue for us to get to talk, and you were privy to like one of our first real in-depth conversations where we were learning things about each other, and I I love that. I'm I'm really thankful that that is on tape. Um, if you want to talk to Austin or thank him for his music or give him feedback <laughs> or whatever, um, you can reach him on Twitter at a Wintery w-i-n-t-o-r-y uh if you want to check out all of his music or much of his music you can check it out on his Bandcamp, which is AustinWintery.bandcamp.com. if you want to talk to me uh god forbid i am on twitter at teddy dief t-e-d-d-y-d-i-e-f and i love them tweets so by all means uh please tell me what you think tell me what you might want to hear about um, as we are getting towards the end of the this first run of PlayScape and the run of PlayScape LA. You can email me, playscape at idlethumbs.net. I swear to those of you who have emailed me that I am getting to responses gradually. Um, I like It's overwhelming. It's overwhelming to get the letters I've gotten um, that are just very heartfelt and very, very open, and I, I cannot tell you how much I appreciate them, um, but I will try when I respond to some of you. Um. Cool! I'm gonna go back into my life here, which is ending. I'm flying to Montreal at the end of May, end of this month, in a couple weeks. So everything at this point is sort of my last thing. Every time I go to like a bar or a restaurant or just a place, I'm like, this is probably the last time I'll do this, at least as a resident of this city. Um, So I'm doing that. Uh, this is not, however, the last episode. I think that my plan for Playscape is to... we'll do a few more, um, at least. I've got some people I still really, really want to talk to before I wrap. I wrap this. Um, you may hear me introing these uh, from the road, so to speak. I mean, I'm, I'm getting on a plane, so not literally, but um, I may be ending this series not until I am in Montreal because I, I think I want to talk a little bit about Los Angeles once I have left it, once I'm <laughs> missing it, and once I can uh, kind of wrap it up as as I am have wrapped up my time here in Los Angeles. Uh, that's about it. You all are the best. Uh, I hope you're having a great week, month, spring. Is it spring? It's spring in the Northern Hemisphere. And love y'all. Talk to you soon. Bye.